Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Friends and Followers. I am here with Lisa, so this is Bridget speaking right now. (laughs) And I'm starting off because first I want to say every podcast recording we do, I think feel like I always say, oh, I'm so excited about today's episode. I'm so excited to look forward to what you have to share with us, Lisa. And I'm just going to say it again. I'm really excited about this episode. I look forward to what you have to share with us because I know that you shared with me last week what you discovered in your research of Sister Xavier Clark, who you portray in first person at the Shrine's Living History Program. Right. And it was a question that you always wonder about yourself. So when she shared with me what she discovered, I was like, oh, that would be a great podcast. (laughs) So I'm really excited about it. So the the focus is not Xavier Clark, who came in 1818, worked with Mother Seaton, became a member of her congregation, Mm -hmm. the Sister of Charity. And the question that always hovered over you was that she was elected mother for the community after Mother Seaton's time. Right. Yeah. And she willingly became a daughter of charity. Right. Of which, if anybody has listened to our podcast on Sister Margaret George, George yeah. we had kind of talked about why she did not want to become a daughter of charity. Mm-hmm. And she had known Mother Seaton. So we kind of felt like if they knew Mother Seaton, maybe that's the way they would have gone. So you're right. I mean, portraying Xavier... I knew she had a French background, and so maybe that is where she had this allegiance to the daughters. We saw that with some of the priests, Father yeah. Rute and stuff. So, and so I always wondered why it was so hard for the others to make that switch to become daughters and just seemed appeared so easy. So was it because she had the French background? Was it because she was here? And it was just easier to just stay here? Right, because the, we did explore the option that by the time the daughters came to the United States, some of these ladies, they were older, you know, right. they had lived their lives. So right. to make right. a huge life change and go somewhere new, it probably was a little, you know, had a little anxiety ridden. Yeah, you know, I change. mean, like we all get in our comfort zone and we right. just want to maintain that. It would have been incredibly difficult as it yeah. was, as we talked about with Margaret George, those few months that they basically didn't have a home. So it was, and I always wondered about that with Xavier. It made me feel like, did she just take the easy way out in a way, you know, and just become a daughter? Did she really mean to become a daughter? And so when I had the opportunity to look at St. Louise de Marillac, who started the daughters um, with St. Vincent de Paul in 1633, um, it what it led me to was the reason why Xavier may have made that decision, you know? And so we, you know, she does arrive in 1818, April of 1818. And what is Elizabeth doing? She's translating the works of St. Louise. And this is why I was super excited because it's been in our face the entire time. Right. But the only thing that we just kept seeing was 
well, Elizabeth had made one statement where she was like, no, I don't want to be adopted of charity. Right. Way back in like 1810. Yeah. And so that kind of, and then when you, when you re research Margaret George, it's like, you're convinced like this is the way it was, yeah. you know, but then when you start looking at Xavier's point of view and what she kind of walked into, um, it shifts a little bit, I think. Um, and when you start looking at Elizabeth, you kind of see that it was always there. So yeah. St. Louise, what I discovered for Elizabeth was like St. Joseph, where she never wrote anything directly about them. Um, but you see it in just about everything she did. Well, she, I think that you can also see for those that do know Louise de Marillac's story and Elizabeth's story, their life almost parallel. Um, completely. Like, it's amazing. Just 200 years apart, right. but their life <laughs> parallel. Right. Right. Um, I mean, they, like you said, they were born with two years apart, 1591 to 1774. They were both wives, mothers, widows. They founded religious communities. Um, they both had conversions. They experienced losing their mother at a young age. They had rejection of a stepmother. Um, they had terminally ill husbands. I mean, it's like a duplicate life to some way, you know, yeah. and um, now Louise only had one son, but it was a difficult son. So it's almost like Elizabeth's relationship with Richard. Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Good with her. Um, Richard. They both enjoyed the arts. They were both well-read. And um, so there's intellectual women of their time. Right. Right. And so there's so many similarities. It's just, it's crazy. And, you know, so Elizabeth, um, like Louise, like Louise was picked almost by Vincent Ball. And he saw something in her and gave her all these responsibilities right away, which is the same thing we see with Elizabeth. Like we've even talked about that. Like here she was this just an average Catholic, I mean, person converting. Mm -hmm. What was so special about her that Archbishop Carroll and Father DeBorg and the Felikis were like, no, no, she's, <laughs> she's different yeah. and went completely out of their way. I mean, Feliki goes, you know, to New York and then down to Baltimore to like plead Elizabeth's case and writes Archbishop Carroll. And it's like, what was so spectacular about her? What stood out to them? And you see the same thing with Louise, with Vincent, like he yeah. saw it right away. And, and so it's kind of amazing that they have these, these relationships that are very similar. They both take in girls to teach them and to, you know, start an order. Um, and so you, you just see so much. And in fact, Louise was active in coming up with their rules. And so was Elizabeth, you know. And so, again, you just see these similarities. So it's just kind of neat in a way to see this. And I, I guess Elizabeth would have recognized that because she was reading about her. And certainly Father Brute and Father Du Bois were constantly talking to her about Louise. So Elizabeth really was a follower of Louise de Marillac, right, right. which then, in a way, did lead the sisters to also be followers. Right. Of she Louise. yeah, she wanted that. That's why she translated her works yeah. for them. You know, um, she chooses March twenty fifth as the day that they'll pronounce their annual vows, which is the day that Elizabeth, I mean Louise had chosen. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you start seeing that Elizabeth did those things. Um, on purpose to kind of relate to Louise, then you start thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> she did want 
the sisters to follow Louise and follow a lot of the principles of the Daughters of Charity. And you start kind of starting to see that other side of it. And Louise led from not only teaching into hospital work, and she did that for 27 years. Now, Elizabeth didn't have that time. You know, she only had the 11, 12 years, but it certainly was a goal of hers to get to hospital work. And which we, excuse me, I got a little fog in my voice, sorry. Um, but which we do see through Xavier that later on she brought the nursing program right. to the academy. But that's not to say that there wasn't sort of like even nursing earlier on in Elizabeth Antique time, even though she didn't have a formal program. It's the same thing with Louise, that she didn't really have a formal program, but that, that was her effort, that was her mission. Yeah, I mean, she had right? sent sisters up to work in the infirmary at the seminary as early as, I think, 1815. Right. And having her father be a New doctor. York, yeah, New the, York City first public health <laughs> officer. It, yeah. So it, it would, I think the medical, the nursing side of things came very easy for Louise, even though we often or primarily interpret the education side, right? Of the, the education ministry that she brought forth to the United States. Right. Where Louise, she kind of brought forth more of a systematic nursing program, right? When you say? Yeah, around 1823, her and Sister Rose White are kind of credited with making it a formal kind of education. Well, that was Xavier. Xavier, but Louise, I'm sorry. Back yes. in, 16, in 1633 yeah. and on. Yeah. She really brought forth more of the nursing practice. Right. Right. Sorry. Way. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm getting all the names mixed up. Um, yeah, she did. And so it that's, yeah, you kind of see where they start again to have those similarities of the things that they wanted for their sisterhood. And one of the big things also was taking care of the poor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Louise says the early, well, the earliest text of role of Louise and Vincent for their daughters of charity recommended that the sisters serve the sick, the poor by supplying them with all they need and spiritually by taking care that they lived and died holy. And then Elizabeth talking to her friend, Julia, like after having that established as part of their rule says to speak the joy of my soul at the prospect of being able to assist the poor, visit the sick, comfort the sorrowful, clothe the little innocents, and teach them to love God. So very similar. I mean, they wanted the same things from their sisterhood. So do you think that it was more a brute that brought forth the writing, or did Elizabeth discover Louise some other way? Well, see, brute is kind of interesting. Yeah, I definitely think he did. I think it really is all the suppletions, okay. I think, as early as Father Dvorak and Father Dubois, I think they all encouraged her to not only follow the rule, but to know Louise. And, okay. and to so know it was them that really saw the value of Louise's right. legacy, right. I guess. And that's why they wanted to bring it to the United States. And then picking up, would you say, the similarity between Elizabeth? Oh, my God, I'm having my own discussion. <laughs> So it seems like perhaps maybe that's why they were so drawn to Elizabeth, because if they already knew about Louise yeah. and her story and her legacy, yeah. they were seeing another individual 200 years later that has the same potential. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I can't speak for Dubois or Dubourg because we don't, no. well, not that we've discovered yet in their writings. It right. could be most of Dubois' writings are in French, so... Um, but Brute signs her death notice as a daughter of charity. 
and he credits her for bringing, he, what does he call her, the first daughter of charity of the United States. And that he writes that on her death certificate. So I think in their mind, whatever the sister thing was she had going, they were daughters. And I always kind of thought, I think a lot of us do that do the tours here, that the first time she kind of interacted with Louise was in 1818. And I think it was far before that. Okay. You know, I think that there was always conversations about it because, I mean, she picked March 25th, you know, to do their vow. So I think these things, she knew, she was aware of these things. And I think translating the works gave her the opportunity to then spread that following to the sisters, you know. Wow. And so I think that that's where that came. So really just spreading that following to the sisters here in America, but she was still very, I don't know, I, I still lean on the side that she had her own intent that they will develop their own uniqueness in the charism, even though it will parallel to the daughter of charity. That's why she wanted to be distinct, not taking on the name daughter of charity. She wanted them to be sisters of charity and St. Joseph. Right. right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there were the, there still was her commitment to widows and widows with children being part of the order. So I think that was something she still held on to. It appears that the sisters were more, like you said, education first, nursing second, where the daughters almost seem reversed yeah, in that. Yeah. So I think that there were those differences. But for Elizabeth, I don't think that that took away from the writings of St. Louise. I think we worry about it too much. I think we worry about it more than she ever did. Oh, you know, I think this is good stuff. This is good stuff. I'm, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm going to take it all in. I don't think she felt that separation. I think it became much more difficult for the sisters after Elizabeth passed away and feeling like, like we said with Margaret George, if she became a daughter, she was portraying Elizabeth. You know, others didn't see it that way. And I think for Xavier, like to witness Elizabeth translating Louise's works and doing the mission of the Daughters of Charity, it just made sense, you know, in that way. Um, I mean, everyone is entitled to their own opinions and perspective. I mean, like, I don't see every side of you. So right. I could be like, no, no, we just really this way. So right. that might have been the case for some of these sisters like Margaret George and Xavier, they had different perspective of Elizabeth's kind of her own opinion and viewpoint based on how they worked with her. Right. 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 So, so, so Elizabeth does translate the works of St. Louise. And I had assumed that she just translated all the works of St. Louise, but she, she picked out portions of it that she wanted the sisters to be aware of. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I thought she was doing it like basically from cover to cover. That's what I just always <laughs> oh, assumed okay. too. So at the end of her translation, she writes September 17th, 1818. So that's mm -hmm. when she kind of finishes. And to me, that's important because that's the time that Xavier arrives, that she becomes like her secretary, like her, mm -hmm. her helper, her, she's her working, right hand person. Right. She's working very close with her. Yeah. And so she's seeing that this is what is important. You know, and one of the things that Elizabeth translated that she emphasized that she wanted the sisters to focus on was a quote by Louise that says, how grateful then should we be for our vocation, which is in itself a practice of the two principal commandments, obliging us to give every moment of life to charity, serving her 
exteriorly in our care of the body, but principally in the care of the soul, speaking to them of God and helping them to know and love him internally. Besides how grateful we should be to our God for choosing us for this manner of life. So that was the part she wanted the sisters to kind of focus on that was from Louise. And it really is just be grateful and thankful that you were chosen for this vacation to be able to help people get to heaven. So it wasn't, are you a sister? Are you a daughter? It was, you've been chosen for this purpose of helping other people. Which goes really back into it being rooted in the mission of St. Vincent de Paul. Right. Right. So who who has always had summarized the spirit of the charism of charity to his, you know, in his 17th century collaborators of the ministry that he established. Um, Yeah. I'm just thinking. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a lot to take in, which sounds strange because we've been here for so long. But it is, um, like you said, you, you, this is a person that died 200 years ago. So we don't know every minute of their day or every thought. We're piecing it together. Um, so another similarity that Louise and Elizabeth had was on their deathbeds, like thinking of their orders and their their sisters and kind of giving them these last things to think about. And for Louise, um, she said, I continue to ask God for his blessings for you and pray that he will grant you the grace to preserve in your vocation in order to serve him in the manner that he asks of you. Take good care of the service of the poor and above all, live together in great union and cordiality, loving one another in imitation of the union and life of our Lord. Elizabeth says, I am thankful, sisters, for your kindness to be present at this trial. Be children of the church. May the most just and the most high and the most amiable will of God be accomplished forever. So they're both basically saying the same thing. They're not saying be daughters of charity or be sisters of charity. They're saying live for God and do what he's asking you to do and take care of people that need help. And that was the spirituality that they wanted to leave to the church or like the legacy, the right. legacy of spirituality. Right. But it's not about what your title you are. It's coming down to well, what is the core right. that we all are called to serve. Yeah, and I would imagine, yeah, and I, I, I imagine that when Elizabeth is translating the works of St. Louise, she's having those discussions with the sisters that are there with her at that time. And some of those sisters that had a harder time becoming daughters were not there for those conversations. They were missioned out in 1818. That's true. So, well, they were even, I think, some of them were missioned out even earlier in well, 14. Yeah. And I don't think all of them came back. I mean, we haven't, it doesn't look like that. It looked right. like even then, that when they never came back to Emmitsburg. Right. So very likely. So, so they don't see, yeah, they the, don't see these conversations the, the that she must have been having, especially with those sisters that were close to her, because this is what she was into, like translating these works. But, however, that doesn't take away that by the time we get to 1850, as we spoke about before, when there is that break, you know, and New York has already separated, and now Cincinnati is separating, it was hard 
and it was extremely painful. And there, you know. But they weren't wrong in doing so. They weren't wrong, wrong in doing so. I think when you look at the whole big picture, they yeah, weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. I think it was, I think it was probably, I'd probably even Elizabeth say it was a will of God. That was his, that was the right. path that was set up and right, taken. right. And I think it would be interesting to be able to have the thoughts of some of the sisters that were here and what they were saying. Because, again, when you look at what they did, like when the church was being completed in the 1840s um, or when the academy building moved, what did they place under the, the you know, what do you call them, the corners of the house? They placed miraculous medals. Um, yeah, right. And so, you know, right. Catherine Labouret, daughter of charity. So they were in their day-to-day -day living the life of a daughter of charity. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it's just, it's a hard call, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it was very painful and the sisters were very aware of it. So there was a letter that Sister Xavier, who was now Mother Xavier wrote, well, let me correct that. She had been Mother Xavier. She was not in 1850 when they made that split. That was um, Sister Antoinette Hall. Well, not because the elective were in a certain number of Right, correct. So her, her turn was up right. by the time right. she writes this letter. So, so she so. writes this letter a few months after the separation, and she just says, you must not think hard of my not writing to you before. It is not for want. Our Lord afflicts you because he loves you. Offer all those pains and miseries to him in union with the passion of our sweet Jesus. Try, if you can, to read some little passages on the passion, all the subjects that can soothe the suffering and afflictions of this exile, which the exile, of course, is the separation between the, the orders. I know of none more powerful. It is a balm to the soul, a light to our darkness, a heavenly food that strengthens and encourages us to travel on our narrow way until we reach our dear eternal country our good friends, Mother Seton, Father Brute, and Father Dubois, and so many, many dear ones who have gone before us to wait for our coming. And we hasten to be with them. What joy, what a feast of love to behold at last. So I think she's, whoever the sister is that she's writing to is obviously part of the exile. They called it not allowed to come back here. Um, but she's just saying, don't focus on all of that. Focus on what your purpose is, what you're meant to do, the passions and the sufferings of our Lord, and just know that Mother Seton's going to be waiting, waiting for us when we get there. And so, yeah, I just think it was such a difficult, difficult time for them. Um, thankfully, it's so much better now. Yes, <laughs> just put yes. that out there. No one's in exile anymore. No, no. <laughs> um, if anything, they're even inviting more congregation to join the federation. Right of the Sisters of Charity, that is both sisters and daughters and right. other women religious. And you see that you see that in this letter and you see it with Mother Seton's words that the goal is to take care of those who need help. Yeah. And the, the charism of purity. Right, right. And so just the one last thing I kind of want to leave you with, and I'll preface it by saying when I did Margaret George and she the la one of the last things that Mother Seton said was, don't separate. I assume that meant don't leave the Sisters of Charity. And now my, I'm changing that. I'm thinking that means 
Don't separate from your goal, your end goal of taking care of those in need. Don't let other things get in the way of that. Um, and I think that was more important to her. I mean, that, like, how stupid am I? Because that makes more sense for Mother Seton to have said that, like to stay focused on what God has, the privilege that God has given you. Focus on that, you know, which was Louisa's words, which Mother Seton passed on to her sisters to focus on, you know. So, you know, this last quote here was Mother Seton close to the time of her death. And she says, surely the next blessing in our future existence to that of being near the source of perfection will be the enjoyment of one another's society. No separation but free communication of affection unshackled by the whys and wherefores of this world. So I think what she meant was in no separation, just keep communicating, keep talking, keep listening. And if that is not a lesson for today, you know, that is, she's still repeating to us. Thank you so much for sharing all this, Lisa. <laughs> I hope so that you guys are, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it too. Yeah. And I know that we didn't, you know, again, get really into the history of Louise de Mary life, but I hope, again, it helps to pull this perspective about, yeah. well, why, how is Louise and Elizabeth connected, yeah. even though they're like centuries apart? I think she had such so, an impact on, yeah. on Elizabeth, not just the fact that they lived almost duplicate lives, but her words impacted Elizabeth, and she shared that. Well, the gift shop does carry books about Louise de Marillac, so if you just go to the Seton Shrine um, gift shop webpage, yeah. you can see what books they're carrying. I definitely recommend that one movie. It's an older film, but it's on Monsignor. St. Vincent? Mendor. I'm sorry. It's a, <laughs> it's a French name title. Um, that we watched a couple of years in the theater. Oh, Vincent, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah it was really good. good. So that's sold. I can't remember the name of it. I think um, it's Monsieur Vincent. Monsieur Vincent. Vincent. Okay, and it's in French. It's in French yeah. language, but Obviously they have they the English subtitles. <laughs> well, I just thought they really gave some sight to Louise, too. Oh, it does. So it does. I recommend that if you're wanting to learn a little bit more about yeah. the charism that both Vincent and Louise brought forth. Yeah, because I think just like with Elizabeth, Louise was not perfect. She had those anxieties and points of sadness and frustration that we can relate yeah. to, but co totally committed to God and what he wanted her to do, yeah. the will of God. But one of these days, we I'll even read a book on Louise. <laughs> so, I, I find her fascinating. I really do. Yeah. So I do find her fascinating. <laughs> I really, like I said, I enjoy the movie, um, but there are plenty of books in the gift shop. Yeah, yeah, it's another good story for sure. Hi, right, thank you for joining us. Right. Until next time. Right. Bye.